Welcome to University Showcase. I'm Megan Kamrick. COVID-19 has had a huge impact on the Navajo Nation, which only this week began a cautious reopening. Not long ago, the vast reservation had one of the highest infection rates per capita in the United States. A journalist and graduate student at the University of New Mexico wanted to find out how Navajo elders were faring in the pandemic. What she discovered was hunger and neglect. There's a link to her story at KUNM.org. Hello, my name is Sunny Clutches Chiligi. I am a reporter with Searchlight New Mexico out of Santa Fe, New Mexico. Thanks for joining us, Sunny. Uh, really enjoyed your article um, in Searchlight. You write that you wanted to find out if elders were getting the care and resources they need on the Navajo Nation during this pandemic. Why are elders so important in the Navajo Nation? Um, I think there's a heavy description that I have in there that talks about how elders are pillars, you know, in our community and how they are essentially connectors for us into our lives before today, before pandemic and to our ancestry. And so, but also because they are the people who have the knowledge that we're trying to preserve. um, And they are also typically the ones who kind of harbor the language and Anything having to do with wanting to preserve um, who we are as Navajo people is definitely and deeply connected with the elders. What answer did you find to that question? Were, Were they getting the care and the resources they needed? You know, this is not necessarily a new problem, um, seeing that the struggles that elders have faced. Conditions are difficult for a lot of people, especially elders, and Before COVID, it was an issue, and I was aware of that, which is why I had this idea to look at that specific demographic, but it was just really heightened by, again, the message that was being sent for, um, you know, protocol and consideration for elders. So I got the, let's just put it this way, I got the answer that I knew was already there, which was that a lot of them were not being taken care of. And, you know, I was, of course, hoping that wasn't the case. I was happy to be wrong, but that, was, that wasn't how it worked out. And so, it, you know, we, I essentially found that we're not doing our elders justice and we're not doing what we say we want to do as Navajo people in terms of taking care of them. Why do you think there's that disconnect when it's clearly part of Diné culture to honor and take care of elders? That's a tough question. I think there are a lot of reasons. I mean, a lot of what this pandemic has done for the Navajo Nation and for the people is it's revealed a lot of disparities that we've been living in and so and that we've had to deal with. And that's no different when it comes to this situation. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, there are so many other problems, it's easy to forget those kinds of things, I think. And, you know, we talk about basic needs and the need for that and the need to to make sure people have those things. It's just easy for people in different demographics and different things to fall through the cracks when we have so many problems. And, but I think it's, it's more than that too. I mean, not everyone has the capability to do what I mentioned about what I was able to do for my grandmother, I was very fortunate to be able to do that. And though I know there are people who have tried, but it's not easy. It's not an easy thing. And so I don't think there's one right answer as to why that's happened. But I think that's a start in looking at what might have happened. You meant you write about that. You what talk a little bit about what you were able to do for your grandma. This is pre-COVID, I think, right? 
Yes, I lost my grandmother in 2013, but I was very fortunate to be able to spend the the last few years with her. She passed from dementia for one of the things, but she also lived a very long life. She was a very independent woman, so it was a little hard for all of us to give her the help that she needed and even at times for her to accept it. And that's what reminded me a lot of the elders in this community, because I think I mentioned in there that a lot of them are independent. And so that could also be a factor as to why, you know, they're kind of being forgotten. But for for my grandmother, yes, I was very fortunate to be able to spend those last few years with her. I even returned home and left a job so that I could do that just because growing up, you know, again, I knew that she wasn't always going to be there. And I was always taught that that's something that was a responsibility for me. And I felt more than capable to do it. You know, I don't have children of my own. I was just kind of chasing my career and I felt that that was more important. So that's what allowed me to do that. Why is this pandemic so particularly deadly on the Navajo Nation, both from a health perspective, but also from the perspective of preserving culture? It's already had a deep impact on culture in the sense that, you know, it's taken away a lot of the little things that we're used to. They're little things, but they're very meaningful things. There's a lot of pride that used to be taken in being able to shake someone's hand. It's an appropriateness. Um, And that's something that's taken away. And then something as small as going to visit someone, again, this is a very rural, it can be a very rural place. And so people enjoy being able to go and visit someone, somebody. Um, The best way I can describe something like that is I once had a, I had a source for a much different story who talked about how difficult it was to keep her mother from visiting and how her mother just did not understand dynamic, that dynamic. And she said, I can't just drop stuff off. That's being rude. It was something that was part of the culture. It's not necessarily, you know, like a deep part, but it's a little part that makes all the difference. And that represents, you know, being respectful and being mindful of other people. So in that case, it's changed the culture. And if we're trying to preserve a culture, then we have this virus that's come along and it's trying to really shake things up to where we might not be able to do that. And so in that way, it's kind of affected the culture. But in terms of health, I mean, we've heard everything about that and how we're, we're losing important people, especially the elder demographic, but everyone's important on the Navajo Nation. It's, and it's every life is a big part of our being able to preserve who we are and everyone contributes to that in every way. And so if we lose somebody, that's a huge loss and not just for the immediate family, but the nation as a whole. Can you talk about the grandmother and the granddaughter that you visited that you wrote about? It was the most difficult part to write, but it was also the most difficult part to experience because when we when we didn't have really expectations going there, and I say we because I was with the photographer, and when we got there, you know, I wasn't, I didn't know she was there, the young girl, and I just knew the grandmother was going to be there. But I almost have no words for this experience because, you know, it's I've known people in these situations, I've known these kinds of things to exist. But to actually be there and to know it's happening during a pandemic, that was hard. That was just, and to know that there was very little that I could do as a reporter and in, in, in trying to be objective. And so, though in the story, I know a lot of people have wanted to help them in so many different ways, they again complained not that much. You know, I mean, the place was somewhat of a mess. 
they didn't have a lot of things. She didn't have a lot of things and she was playing with whatever she could play with. But the amazing thing about her is she had so much spirit in her. I mean, I just could not believe how someone like this was not being able to experience so many wonderful things in life at that age, because you want somebody like that to experience those things because they're just such a wonderful person. And she was so full of life. She paid no mind to the fact that she was just wearing her pajamas that day or, you know, that it was really hot or that she didn't have anything else to play with. And the most heart-wrenching part was as, as we left, she ran up to the vehicle and gave us a snack that she had gotten from her school because, and, and that, that was really hard because that depicts and demonstrates how we are as a people and how we're supposed to be. She had nothing, but she was willing to give whatever she had. And so, so that was, yeah, <laughs> it was, it was a difficult experience, but it was also, it put things into perspective because so many people have also said that, yes, these are the conditions, but it's so good to know that we are finding ways to be resilient and that's her resiliency. And that's the teaching that she was given that's carrying her through. Wow. It's important to say she's 10, I think, and she's a cancer survivor. Yes. She, well, she's around 10 in the story. It says she's not yet 10, but yes, what kind of cancer we weren't able to get that far, but we also did not want to give too much more, too many more details than we were allowed. And we wanted this to be in there, but with respect to the wishes of the family and the people who were guardians to her. How was their situation similar to other folks that you visited in terms of resources or lack of resources? I think that infrastructure was a commonality for sure. Every place that we visited needed not just a new door, but a new house. It needed a new roof, needed um, air conditioning, sometimes electricity. Um, sometimes running water, right? Absolutely. Drinking water um, and just conveniences. All of these places did not have conveniences that we all take for granted today. Something as small as turning on a faucet or being able to flush the toilet. You know, those were things that were definitely some commonalities. But, but a more important commonality for me was that Again, out of all the places that we visit and the people who we visited, no one's spirit was all that much down aside from the grandmother, but she wasn't having a very good day that day. She was not feeling very well. But for the most part, you know, people found joy in the little things that they had. Like I mentioned, um, Miss Woody in the story, she was very humorous. Um, we didn't get a chance to get that across in the story, in this column, but, you know, we laughed the entire time that we were there. And then when we got to see Mr. Johnson, the same thing, you know, he was very humorous and very charming. And then of course we had the little girl. And so they had commonalities that were not so much ideal, but they were also common in the sense of they demonstrated that resiliency in what I expect for Navajo people to do. I've always been struck by the Navajo people I've met. (laughs) When you said the sense of humor, (laughs) it's it's really awesome. And it comes at you unexpectedly. <laughs> I've been taken by surprise. I'm like, wow, that was really funny. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there was, I guess I could share a little part that is somewhat PG and in, in that the, the women shared. But 
you know, Miss Woody was there with her sister and they were just like two teenage sisters kind of going at it, teasing each other while we were there. And, you know, I asked them, so what do you guys do all day? You know, kind of what, what's going on out here? It doesn't look like a whole much, but just tell me what's happening. And, and one of, one of them was joking. She said, um, you know, just watch movies and, you know, like maybe some love movies. And then they started joking to each other about <laughs> and we were not expecting that, you know, and so it was kind of a nice reminder that, yes, they are going through so much of this, but they are finding ways to to push through. You write that they are getting some food boxes, some other emergency resources, but it sounds like this was kind of sporadic and not enough for what they needed. Yeah, in the column, I mentioned that people in the community and in other Navajo communities have been getting these. But as far as the people I talked to, meaning the elders, they did not receive any to their knowledge. And so we had asked them if, you know, they'd gotten some of these items and some support in that way. And um, some of them didn't hear about them. Some of them didn't know that they were happening. And then of course, some of them have the issues of not having a vehicle to go and get these boxes. But the real thing with the story was just that, you know, there are some people who are not getting them. And I think that was kind of the more important thing that we were hoping to focus on. And it, and it just so happened that this demographic was the elderly demographic that was some of the ones who were not getting these boxes. Are there community members and volunteers trying to fill in these gaps? From what we heard from one of our main anonymous sources, there weren't, except for them, the ones who, you know, were the the main people, the driving forces behind this column and who were a huge help to us. That was why, partially why the story was written, was that there is no one to fill these gaps. And they were trying to fill these gaps, but they couldn't do it without the support that they were trying to get. And so a partial reason this column came about was to hopefully find that, find who was going to be able to do that, because there is a big group of people who are not getting these supplies, and they wanted people to know that. And they did what they could on their part with whatever means they had. And so the other end of that is when I did talk to the tribal official that is quoted in the story, you know, she did mention that. There are things put in place to make that happen, to fill that gap. But, you know, again, we're going with what the experiences that the people we spoke with were. And to their knowledge, they never received anything. If you just joined us, this is University Showcase. I'm Megan Kamrick, and I'm talking with Sunny Clotches Chiligi. She's a graduate student in rhetoric and writing and a journalist. She recently did a piece for Searchlight New Mexico about how elders were faring during the coronavirus pandemic on the Navajo Nation. You can find a link to the story at KUNM.org. You bring up anonymous sources, and I wanted to ask what happened when you started talking to people, because it sounds like then some of them became afraid of speaking publicly. Why? What's going on there? It turned upside down fairly quickly. And in the midst of me writing what I had from my trip, um, I was really excited to get this going because of the topic that was very personal to me. But it, it started to crumble when people realized that people were speaking out about the issues and certain people did not want that disclosed because for for obvious reasons of how it might make them look, especially when you are in a leadership capacity. I mean, in the story, I think we mentioned it happened in a matter of 24 to 48 hours or something that everyone just kind of dropped out of this. And so 
there was honestly a time where because of that, we almost didn't run the story. The story, this column almost did not happen for that reason. But fortunately, with much encouragement from my editors and, of course, how badly I wanted to write this story, you know, we made it happen. Did you get any answers to that from leadership? Did you get any answers about why people are not getting these resources? No, I did not. And to date, I have not. This story has floated around and gained so much ground so quickly. I guess I was naively expecting some kind of a response. <laughs> That's always a reporter's dream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, um, but no, I, I have not yet. We have not yet. I did speak with a source the other day who acknowledged that the some people in the leadership capacity are aware of the story. They've heard it, they've read it, but it's, nope, we have not heard anything yet. What are some long-term solutions that would protect elders and get them what they need? I think one of the things that, and I, I speak from personal experience, you know, with, within because that's really all that I have, um, and every circumstance is different, but you know, we don't have care facilities for elders. A lot of the elders on the Navajo Nation are having to resort to facilities off of the reservation. What's even worse about that is they're not always so kind to Navajo residents in those facilities. And so um, one option could could definitely be that, but also putting them at the forefront for resources. If we can have so many different opportunities for the youth, like scholarships or you know, just different opportunities in relation to getting them to where they want to be. You know, there's no reason we can't have the same for the pillars in our community, um, the people who hold a lot of everything that we say we have pride in. So I think one is help is the facilities, but also I know that these, like the senior centers are not as funded as they should be. Um, I think it should off, be able to offer more. So it would be nice for some more investment to be made in that and just creating a safe environment for these people. And I think that the leader who in quoted in the story mentioned having some kind of a case management system to monitor these elderly people. I think that's great. You know, I hope that happens. And that would be another great way to monitor the needs of that demographic, because as far as I know, that does not exist. And let's remind our audience, I mean, this is a vast reservation. It covers three states. We've touched on there's often not running water, often not electricity. If you don't have a functioning vehicle, you're really not going to do well. <laughs> so these are big challenges in terms of people who, as they grow older and more frail. Absolutely. And something also not mentioned in the story, and this should kind of give some people an idea, is Elizabeth Woody in the story talked to me about how pre-pandemic she used to hitchhike because she didn't have a vehicle. If you can imagine a 70-year-old vulnerable grandmother hitchhiking with the nearest town about an hour and a half to two hours away, that's something she used to do almost every day, if not every other day. And so those are the options that she's left with and that some people are left with like that. And so, you know, absolutely. It's remoteness does not help anything, <laughs> but unfortunately those are the environments that our elderly people are reside in. And to be fair, they prefer that, you know, they want to be home. They would, if you gave them an option between a care facility and being back on the reservations, they want to be home. Um, but we need to find ways to support them and with, if they make that decision. 
the pandemic has been so devastating. They even sent doctors from other places in the country. And there was a long article in a national outlet interviewing doctors who I think came from the San Francisco Bay Area. They weren't prepared with the way they care for people, which I'm sure they're excellent doctors. But I was thinking about this when you brought up the elderly lady hitchhiking. They took care of a man with COVID. He recovered. They released him. He had no ride. He had no way to get home. And he started walking back home and collapsed in the heat and had to be taken back to the hospital. But there weren't any systems in place for this. Yeah. And, you know, I've heard that a lot. And out, outside of that particular instance and within that northern Navajo area, some of the bigger issues that Navajo people feel like are not being brought to light is, you know, if someone in the family gets the virus and has to quarantine, where do they do that? And where does everybody else go, especially if you live in a multi-generational home? I just heard this the other day just a personal conversation. And somebody was saying that, you know, they don't think about those kinds of things. And then there's also the the other end of if somebody does have the virus and has a child, who watches that child? Who takes care of that person when you don't have anyone else if it's just you and them? And so there's a lot of things, there are a lot of stories, I should say, like that of people who are, you know, wondering, what do you do in that case? That example just kind of resonates with that. You said at the beginning that you went into the story with this question uh, to find out how how are elders getting the care and resources they need on the Navajo Nation, and you knew the answer. So why did you want to do the story? Because everyone else needed to know. It wasn't enough for me to know. It wasn't, I mean, nobody wants to listen to me, and I don't blame them. (laughs) Um, But I had hoped that they would hear the elders' stories, because I also thought about how many voices we have heard during this pandemic from the Navajo Nation. Yes, we've heard from some older people. Yes, we've heard from people who have lost family. We've heard from leadership. We've heard from donator, you know, people who are running the relief funds. But I wanted this to be a specific platform that would be a voice for that that specific demographic. And so for me, it wasn't enough for me to tell people, hey, this is happening. I wanted them to be able to share their own stories. And so that's why I did what I did, because it means so much more. And if you grow up Navajo, you know that that elders' words are so much more powerful than, say, someone like myself. And I knew that. I knew that the impact that it might and could have. And that's exactly what's happened. There's a lot of conversation now in this moment because we're not only in a pandemic, we're also in an uprising for racial justice. And these conversations are also happening quite a bit in media and about equity and inclusion and diversity in newsrooms. Why is it so important for stories like this to have people like you in newsrooms so we get these stories? I think it's because there's an understanding that we have not just about what's happening, but about the people themselves. Navajo people are wonderful people, but we are not a very trusting people um, and for good reason. You know, over the years, I mean, I've been in journalism for quite some time now. And over the years, I've had outside journalists ask me, you know, why is it so hard? Why won't people talk to us? And, you know, I mean, we've been scarred by so much, you know, and we don't we're not very trusting, again, for good reason. And so to be able to have someone who you trust and who you know is going to do right by you is important, I think. And for me, I take those extra steps within my own community because they are my community. I didn't just 
write the story, interview these people, and then not talk to them again. I've been in contact with as many as I could. Even my previous story, I check on people and say, how are you doing? How is How are things, you know? And that takes an extra level of understanding of what is important to these communities. I mean, even when I went for my first story, I gave out supply bags to my sources. That's not something any other journalist might do, but in the Navajo way, you don't show up somewhere empty-handed. And so I did not show up at any of my sources' homes empty-handed. I had something for them, even if it was something small. And so to know those kinds of things are how you earn trust with the community and, and understanding and really just being genuine. If it took two hours to sit there and listen to someone, I let that two hours happen. So I think it's important because as Native journalists in our own community, we have an understanding of who our people are, what they face with, because that's who we are. And those are the things that we have faced at one point in time. This has been such a great conversation, Sunny. Thank you so much. I do want to ask you, tell me what you're doing at UNM and how that's (laughs) working into your journalism career and what your plans are for the future. Up until last August, uh, well, actually, I should say up until the pandemic began, I thought my journalism career was over. And I, I said I officially put my notepad and recorder away last August when I got into the PhD program at UNM. Um, but I'll never stop being a storyteller. Um, and this pandemic has made me realize that, that there's a need for us still. Native journalists are still less than 1% of journalists worldwide. And so... There's something that I can do that I've been doing that I still need to do. And so when the pandemic hit, I pulled back out my notepad and my recorder and I went back to it because it was necessary. But at UNM, I am um, a core writing instructor. So I work in the English department and I teach some classes there. And I'm also a PhD student in the rhetoric and writing program. So I'm kind of wearing a number of hats. And now I'll probably continue doing what I'm doing here because I will not abandon the series project I have with Searchlight, which is the Hitting Home series. And so I'd like to see that through. So I'll be wearing a number of hats. Um, and I guess I'm an un, I guess I'm not retired in journalism anymore. So, yeah, yeah I don't I, I don't think you can give that up very easily. <laughs> Just having talked to you for 30 minutes. I'm just guessing. Definitely, <laughs> definitely not now. Um, and the funny part about this is, you know, I was a sports writer for years. And some people are like, how in the world did this happen? I mean, I got a very wonderful message from a, a fellow sports writer a couple, maybe a month ago or something who said, who knew you could do this? And I said, I did. No one just gave me the chance to. <laughs> so, Well, as I, I confess, I don't read the sports page as much. But when I do delve in, I'm like... There's some really good stories in sports. There's some amazing opportunities. I don't know if that's the kind of coverage you did, but I'm not a giant sports fan, but there's some great writing on that beat. I've always said that I don't necessarily write about sports. I write about people who just so happen to do well in sports. Exactly. Well, that's (laughs) awesome. And this is part of a series in Searchlight called Hitting Home. The column is kind of a side to the series. I mean, we do some we do stories in between the series, but a couple of us are designated for the series. And so mine is obviously the Shiprock area. But the wonderful thing about Searchlight is they give me that freedom to write about what I want to write about outside of the series. And so 
So technically it could be a part of the series, but we have, I have much bigger pieces in mind for that. And I'm working on my second installment now. So, um, yeah. And what is the Hitting Home series? Is it focused specifically on the Navajo Nation? Um, no, it actually spe- it focuses on five rural New Mexico towns. And five of us reporters stick with that town over a course of time. I think we're thinking maybe a year. And so we revisit these places to see how the pandemic or the virus is affecting and changing these communities. And so my first installment with Shiprock, all of our installments were semi-introducing these towns, but also diving into some of these ways that it may change. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was Sunny Clotches Chiligi. She's a graduate student at the University of New Mexico and a journalist. You can find her story from Searchlight New Mexico at KUNM.org. That's also where you can find this and all our previous episodes. Thanks to Associate Professor David Bashwinner for our theme music. I'm Megan Kamrick. Thanks for listening to University Showcase. Mm-hmm.